Avengers Age of Ultron is garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> What is up, everybody? Welcome back. It is the season premiere of Den of Geek Presents Marvel Standom. And as you know, each week we break down the latest and greatest the MCU and Marvel comics have to offer. And it's a big one this week because as we wait for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania to hit screens in a couple of weeks, and by the way, I'm hearing really, really cool things about that movie. Uh, we are taking one final look back at phase four of the mcu and joining me to do that for all time and always we have denny geek tv editor alec bajalin denny geek news and features editor kirsten howard and welcome back pop culture expert denny geek contributor all around good guy mr joe george how's everybody doing because the rest of you are just partial good people i don't know be better fair <laughs> Joe sets a high bar, folks. What can I say? So I'm a very uh, short man, Mike, actually. But thank you. <laughs> so should we just get right into the ranking? Is that what we're doing? Oh, wow. Look at these graphics. It's the first time right. I'm seeing any of this. And at Kirsten's request, I have not even looked at the rankings themselves. Good. Ooh, Eternals came in dead last, huh? I guess I'm not entirely surprised, but... As we've discussed on this show, kind of at length, I think uh, history will be kinder to Eternals. Um, but right now, that's not a good look, is it? Um, Joe, I know, I know how you feel about yeah. this movie. This is the proper placement, yes. I've got my personal list over here. And of course, Eternals is at the bottom. Maybe in the future when the robots take over then they will like to see themselves reflected in film. But for right now, this is a noble failure, but a failure nonetheless. And the people are right to say this. Harsh, but maybe fair. I don't know. Well, Alec, is, you... I... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Kirsty. Jumping no, in. I'm no, so excited. Uh... Like to you back. I'm <laughs> well, like a little I, I puppy. Think, <laughs> uh, I think we need to save Kirsty for last on this one. Okay. Like, yeah, they, they have the, the maybe the strongest uh, Eternals thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um. I dead last seems a little harsh for this. I mean, I guess like it's as good a choice as any other like four or five that could have been in this spot. Uh, I do think, however, that at a certain point, like the meme of something sucking kind of just like takes over and it's destined to be in that spot. Uh, I do think Eternals is a bad movie that I don't enjoy. But I think the meme of Eternals being really bad is a bit stronger than the reality itself, which is that it's just kind of like normal bad. Um, it's not where I would have put it at, at 17th on the list, but I'm not going to fight tooth and nail to get it up at higher. <laughs> Damning with faint praise indeed. But we have our resident Eternals defender, Kirsty. What do you think? Um, I think this is wrong, but <laughs> I accept it. Um, a lot of people voted in these rankings. The readers at Den of Geek, um, of like longtime viewers, um, just people on social media as well, and the staff at Den of Geek. And so I accept it. 
but I don't agree with it. I think uh, Eternals is is it's actually really good. <laughs> I I like it a lot, and I hope that uh, it will be reappraised one day, and that history will prove me right. I love the two extremes here are Kirsty and Joe. Uh, I'm more on Alex and the things. I don't particularly love this movie, but at Kirsty's insistence, I did give this movie another shot when it hit Disney Plus. And I did get more out of it. I did enjoy it more. I'm still not really in a hurry to watch it again. You know, like I'm sure I will watch it again, but like we'll get to it. <laughs> we have somebody in the chat going, the eternal slander is disappointing. I feel you. Like, again, is it the worst? Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to my thoughts on what's the worst soon enough. <laughs> Where are we at with number 16? We're going to get to it really soon. <laughs> Moon Knight. All right. Okay. Moon Knight should have been number 17, but I do not have to uh, wax hateful about Moon Knight any more than I already did for six episodes of Marvel Standom, plus a couple of other episodes. You know my thoughts on this show. It is unwatchable. Uh, let's let's move on, shall we? Uh, who, who would like to uh, Who would like to weigh in on Moon Knight's rightful place? down in the cellar here no this is too low this is too low it ends badly Why? i have no i'm not going to argue against that the, the 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 last episode is so bad and there are definitely ideas that it does not pay off but i refuse to think that anything that this much oscar isaac is that bad i mean his 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 accent is delightful it's charming you got i love steven with a v First of all, second of all, the themes that it's reaching for, even if it doesn't succeed at them, that that intention is more noble, and I think it's more successful at reaching at its heightened, heightened themes than the previous movie that we or the previous entry that we just talked about. It's not completely successful. It's just you know, it it, it does it's better than sixteen. Come on, it's not better than sixteen. Um, <laughs> this show blows. It's not good. I mean, like I. I kind of, I hold back on that opinion a lot because I feel like hating Moon Knight is kind of Mike's thing. So I've adopted hating the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is my thing. But truth be told, Moon Knight is the worst TV show Marvel's ever produced. Um, it's just so lifeless. And you know, sometimes I feel guilty about being so dismissive of something. Like, you know, it's art. Like people worked hard on this. Like they put their heart and soul into this. Like it all has merit. You can't just dismiss it with a wave of a hand. I feel a little more comfortable about just straight up dismissing Moon Knight. Um, it just feels like there's not a lot of effort put into that script in general. Sorry. Um, it's just boring and just not well made. I, I do, do not like Moon Knight at all. Thirsty, of course, is yeah. our true Moon Knight expert. So I am. I'm very much in the middle. And I've said, I've said all this before, but uh, I think that half of this show is really good, really ambitious, pushing the envelope in terms of um, ideas, but the other half sucks so bad that it's really hard to say that it's great. Um, but I, I think that overall it's an interesting mess that I have rewatched and enjoyed enough. Let's move on from Moon Knight before I have a stroke. Uh... <laughs> Ooh, ouch. Thor Love and Thunder at number 15. I'm genuinely surprised about this one. Um, like, I know this was, you know, got kind of a lukewarm reception from folks, but, um, and look, I didn't particularly love it myself, but 15 seems a little low. Um, 
you know, where, where are we at with this? I'm going to start with Kirsty on this one simply because I know that they were a big fan of this one. And I feel like, I feel like this movie deserves like some kind of defense before other folks uh, poke holes in it. Yeah. Um, do you know what I was thinking earlier, actually, uh, when I was looking at these rankings, because I've seen them, is that it would be so easy to just lie and say that I hated some of this stuff. <laughs> I just, I would uh, feel, I don't know, I, but I can't. Like, I, I on this show, I've said I, I really enjoyed Thor Love and Thunder. I found it funny. I found it, you know, delightful. And I went on the Action for Everyone podcast and there was a lot of slating of Thor Love and Thunder and I was just saying, you know, it made me laugh. I enjoyed it. Um, but it would be easier just to, just a lie but I can't so I maintain it's good and doesn't deserve to be here on the list it doesn't deserve to be here on the list at all yeah that's no. right no that's a correct Ouch. statement Alec. <laughs> um, I might as well jump in because I actually when I was making my list this I wasn't expecting this but I this was my number 17 wow um, wow I know right like for as much as I you know was just a real dick to Moon Knight. And as much as I historically don't like Falcon and Winter Soldier, when I was just like searching the chambers of my heart, it told me that this is the this is the phase four product I like the least. Um, and I can't really articulate it beyond that. just so much of it feels really phoned in. Like it feels like a weirdly slight story. Uh, it's nobody's best performance in the MCU. Like everybody who has been in multiple films gives their, I think their worst effort, um, not their worst effort, but their worst performance at least. Um, and it's just, it's the first, the first Marvel movie I've seen where I felt like a hundred percent wasn't given. Even the bad ones, even Eternals, like everybody, you know, put their heart and soul into that. And if it turned out bad, it's because it was destined to be bad. Um, Thor Love and Thunder did not feel that way it just felt like it was an afterthought and it was not good and it made me sad but the, <laughs> the goat screaming did get me 100% of the time though I did laugh at that every single time no Black Phillip might be the most evil goat in cinema but the, those goats are the ones that haunt my nightmares that <laughs> so nails on the chalkboard I would rather listen to whatever crazy YouTube videos my five-year-old is watching, then listen to those screaming goats again. I had this one at, at 14. Uh, there's a couple more that I think are worse and because there are some redeemable things here. Like I said, I think that scene where Thor gives the power to the kids is really cool looking and, and, and is done really well. But yeah, there's just, it's so flippant, most of this movie. Uh, with the exception of, of Christian Bale, who I think is having all, is doing a lot of there and having a lot of fun. Everything else from the performances to the effects to just the visuals to especially the jokes just feel like everybody is, is not over it as much as they are just too cool for this. You know, it, it feels like the condescending that you get towards superhero and comic book adaptations that we haven't had for a long time. And it was, it's just a bummer. It's a bummer to think about that movie. Probably just I just like being condescended to then. <laughs> really enjoy it. It's like you're my the, secret kink and you're on the show with the three of us. Like obviously. 
<laughs> the condescension kink is uh i don't know i enjoyed this when i watched it in the theaters i haven't watched it since and i will say like almost nothing stuck with me you know like like i left the theater and just like i was like well that was fun and basically have thought about virtually nothing from it again uh i've been meaning to rewatch it um I'd like to say, as with most of this stuff, I'd like to think I'd like to think that it would benefit from a rewatch down the road. Um, I think some of this might stem from the fact that like Ragnarok was such a high bar, you know, in terms of storytelling. It was such a departure in terms of tone. It was such a surprise. And this does not scale those heights. So I don't know. Um, you know, I think we're already reaching the point of this list where so much of this stuff becomes almost interchangeable in terms of like objective quality. You know what I mean? So let's see where we're at with number 13, 14 Falcon and the winter soldier, Alex favorite. Uh, <laughs> I, you know what? I have to start this one off because I am the Falcon and the winter soldier defender, not a passionate defender, mind you, because I admit the show was kind of a mess. Uh, it felt like it was, I felt like it was like re-edited from something at times. Like the pacing was all weird and the final episode was a bit of a wreck. Um, I understand a lot of the criticisms, criticisms of it, but like generally speaking, I thought it was reasonably effective at the kind of like low key political corner of the MCU exploration that it was trying to be. But again, I am a very big fan of a very particular era of Captain America comics that this show was like pulling a lot of inspiration from. So I might have had my nostalgia goggles on for like the Mark Grunewald Captain America comics era, you know, for, for some of this. So maybe I'm not the most reliable judge, but come on, folks, it's not that bad. I'm with you 100%, Mike, on all of that, because I love those Grunewald comics as well and that whole arc with the flag smasher and 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 u.s agent coming in and the captain costume love all of that stuff and so and i love uh uh you know the the the, the comics that introduce um oh i'm blanking on his name now carl lumbly character um uh totally blanking on that kind isaiah of bradley Thank you, Isaiah Bradley. Yes, I love all those. And I mean, again, no, the adaptation isn't quite as good as, as that. But I, I, I thought what it was trying to do was interesting. That uh, it was working those concepts into the MCU in, in, in a way that kind of took the snap seriously. Um, and I think we need more of trying to figure out what the Marvel world looks like after this huge thing happened. Um, ideologically, it was inconsistent, yes, but uh, we get Anthony Mackie, who is constantly charming and charismatic, and you know, also Sebastian Stan is there if you needed a wet blanket. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> Wyatt Russell is so much fun. It's the perfect pick for U.S. agent. That's exactly the type yes. of guy that you want. And I love that the crowning of the new Captain America is he gives a speech to everybody telling them to be better. That's what you want from Captain America. So no, it's I, it, Alex complaints about it are right. I can't really push back against that. But on the, the parts, uh, you know, are, are greater than the whole in this case for me. So I'm with you. I, I feel like I'm being gaslit when you guys talk about <laughs> because like the what you're describing sounds great 
and I wish it was the show we watched. It's, but it's not. Like, you know, I'm just telling you, your your memories of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier are just incorrect. It, that what what you're describing is not on screen. It might be in those comics, but it's not on screen. Um, I don't. You know, it's become again kind of a meme that I'm the Falcon Winter Soldier hater, and I am. But that meme has been taken over by real life, um, in the sense that I I think it is better than Moon Knight and Thor: Love and Thunder maybe Eternals um, so it's definitely not the worst of phase four but it's it's a huge disappointment um, and, and how lucky was Marvel that they got WandaVision to go first in phase four in hindsight yeah see I disagree I think it was very unlucky <laughs> I think they put that out there thinking we'll just put this weird thing we did out while people are desperate for any Marvel content and hopefully they'll like it and get it and people loved it so much and got really hyped about what phase four was going to be. And then Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes along and is not very good and is not very exciting and not very ambitious or inventive. And it felt like kind of a come down from one division. So yeah, I can't agree with that. I just, I thought it was a bit of a mess. And we at least all agree that Sam Wilson's Captain America suit is just the greatest. No complaints. She-Hulk, attorney at law, genuinely surprised that She-Hulk made it to number 13, given the early, the reception to the early episodes. Uh, But it did redeem itself like later in the run. I think that helped a lot. Uh, And that finale was just like, so smart and and really like much more of what i wanted from the show but yeah a little surprised that it's up here this high i don't remember where i put it it was probably lower i'm a little confused at its spot on the list and maybe i shouldn't be because if anything given its response you're right mike it probably may have been expected to come in lower but to me personally everything about she hulk just screams like kind of mid-tier for better or worse like in in any random sampling of 17 marvel properties i feel like she hulk should always come in ninth or ten it's like the exact median marvel property um because it does like exactly the amount of things correct and incorrect um and I, i personally it's just it's just to my tastes like i just like this show a lot um for me personally it would be even higher than that nine or ten spot but i'm a little confused as to why like the world's response to it hasn't been just kind of a "Eh, eh." (laughs) like whatever that sound is should be where she hulk falls on this list (laughs) i had it low at number 16 but really the most i can say it's it's not for me and i and i actually kind of think that's great in a strange way that you know that marvel's making shows that aren't aimed at 40 year old straight white dudes who read a bunch of comic books before so it's low on my list but i'm glad it's connecting with other people and that's all Percy, you were one of the show's harshest critics right out of the gate did it remind me did it win you over by the midway point well first of all i can tell you i am extremely online mike and i can tell you that i definitely wasn't one of this show's Okay, you're right. (laughs) Not even closer. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) I thought this show uh, gave us Daredevil's Walk of Shame, uh, that crazy finale. Um, 
I thought it gave us some really fun stuff, you know, but it also gave us some extremely dodgy CGI and she helped working and just some very questionable choices and a story that went absolutely friggin' nowhere. Like what it didn't, it was playing with topics, you know, that it didn't even understand how to um, like deal with or conceptualize. And <laughs> yeah, I just felt really baffled by the whole thing, honestly. I don't really feel any particular type of way about She-Hulk anymore. The first couple episodes really annoyed me. And then after that, you know, yeah. I, I laughed at some of the jokes. I got on board with it. The Daredevil stuff was delightful and not because it's like, oh, finally, like, you know, a dude on this show. Like, but Daredevil <laughs> was really well used and was clearly well used by Jen Walters. Like, and it's nice that people actually like got laid in the MCU for once. So like, it was kind of cool. Oh, you're forgetting about Eternals and that scorching hot scene? Oh, no. <laughs> Please, no more. What if? I think what if is kind of like mid-tier as far as like, but that's to be expected. It's an anthology. You know, some episodes hit harder than others. There's definitely a handful of episodes that I would totally watch again. And then there's a couple that I'll, you know, that I won't think about ever again. And the nice thing about it is it doesn't matter. It doesn't feel like, uh, like it's going to impact your enjoyment of these characters one way or the other, if you choose to ignore some of this, you know, but I, I gotta say, I thought it worked a lot better than I expected it to. Like I'm seeing some of these images again for the first time since I watched the show and I'm like, Oh yeah, that was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, yeah, I haven't revisited it though. So I agree with you there. Like I, I don't think I'll, go back to it but I thought it was a good first step for the sort of animated MCU side and there were some interesting ideas some episodes were definitely better than others but I think they did pretty well I don't I still don't love that animation style they used I feel like they could have mm. gone like the animatrix or love and robots uh, route where they had like they've got the money to get all different talent and ideas and um designs and stuff but you know they just went with this one and it's, it's okay but I just don't I'm not blown away by it excluding She-Hulk which was obviously higher on my personal list uh what if on our list this official list kind of marks the point um where I actually enjoy the stuff like what if I I would say I genuinely liked didn't necessarily blow me away and as you guys have said some episodes are just naturally better than others which is how it works with this format um but this is like, I don't know. It was fun to watch. And I think this, is, it kind of represents like a well-earned victory lap for Marvel. Like, I just kind of like it when um, storytelling universes get so big and involved that they can kind of fold back in on themselves in a really like kind of self-congratulatory, <laughs> slightly masturbatory way, which it's just fun when you're invested in that universe, which I happen to be with the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. So, you know, I give it a thumbs up. I'm pretty happy with it here. I've said this before, but it's the perfect adaptation of the what if comic book in that there's a couple of good ideas and, but most of them aren't really that interesting, but also they were I mean, in the same way the comic rarely goes more than one issue. These are like 20 minutes or so. It's fine. You, I, I didn't have a bad time with any of them. Very few of them stuck with me. Um, I still think the, the T'Challa leads the Ravagers or uh, storyline is really well done. Um, for me, the most interesting thing about it, though, was seeing 
who, which of these screen actors can do voice acting? Because not all of them could. There was some pretty <laughs> stiff voice acting every once in a while. And then on the opposite end, Jaimin Hansu was so funny in that uh, in that one episode with the, the Ravagers. And so, man, I mean, we all need more Jaimin Hansu, period. But give that man a comedy. He's so funny. But I, I, I think it belongs where it's at this point in the list. I, look, I, again, I think we've we've we reached the point pretty early on, like even when we still were in like kind of the lower, you know, the lower tier of this list. It is a, a testament to some degree to, you know, the overall quality of the MCU's output, where even when it's not like stellar stuff, it's pretty like consistently entertaining and good. You know, I think we've we've pretty much passed the point more or less where most of us have like really strong, like, Oh, get this off my screen kind of feelings. No, we haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. (laughs) Black widow. All right. You know, it's almost easy to forget that black widow was part of phase four because it did kind of feel like part of a different phase of MCU storytelling aside from you know the kind of the kind of framing sequences right but i like this movie a couple of kind of hokey things aside like i think this was a really effective origin story for not one but two characters you know um like i thought it was really elegant in the way that it kind of tied a bow on you know on on the first black widow story and introduced yelena belova in a way that you know, we immediately wanted more of her and then got more of her in Hawkeye. So like, yeah, more, more, more of this. And also, except for the ending, which was a little like, you know, weird, you know, CGI stuff falling out of the sky heavy. This was about as close to like a, a pure action movie and a spy thriller in terms of its tone and ambition as anything the MCU has attempted since, since Captain America, the winter soldier, you know? So um, more power to this. Another one that I think will, you know, maybe do better the next time we do like a full MCU, just like movies alone ranking or something. I don't know. This movie's severely underrated. Um, I, I would have it up a little bit higher. Uh, yeah, the the CG at the end, not great, but there's so much other stuff that I think is so good in here. And a lot of it you touched on, Mike. I mean, you can't, David Harbour is a delight throughout the entire movie. Uh, Florence Pugh is a delight. I, I I get why people that love the Taskmaster from the comics are upset about this version, but I thought this version really worked for what it was. And one thing I really liked about it was the way that this version of the Taskmaster used moves and iconography that you've seen from other Marvel movies. Uh, it was... It, it, it was a reference in that, you know, it catches the audience's attention. We do the Leonardo DiCaprio meme when we, when, you know, Taskmaster does like the Black Panther claws or does the Captain America stance or something like that. But it didn't feel winky to me. It felt like it made sense within this world that if a character is going to emulate the best fighters, then they're going to have those stances. And, and, and it was like immediate storytelling that you get from a shared universe. And so... I think it's really good, really interesting movie. Uh, slightly better than than this ranking, and I I agree. I think it's going to grow over time. I, I think you guys, I mean, really nailed it. I don't have much to add beyond that because um, you're exactly right about the the strength of the non third act action and the weakness of the third act action. 
I guess if I were to add anything, it might be that this film is just slightly less regarded just because of kind of the nuts and bolts of its release. Um, like COVID was a real challenge. And then also this kind of the weird novelty of releasing a standalone um, character movie after that character's time in the MCU is technically over. And you add in the fact that its, it's big uh, storytelling mission was to introduce Yelena. We've only gotten to see her once basically since then. So I just feel like there are some structural things that this movie has going against it. That's not necessarily its fault. I think this is my favorite phase four movie. Um, I've, I've rewatched it the most. Um, that's, that's all I can say is that I revisited it and enjoyed those performances and enjoyed the story and uh, way more than the other ones so ultimately I can't say fairer than that like it it must be <laughs> because it's not like what I'm hate watching it like I, I just really enjoy it good movie and they're it's from Ohio crazy. it's a good movie it's a good movie it's like underrated you know, I think that yeah, yeah and I, you know what I think there was a little bit of like a narrative that came up around it and its box office performance and stuff like that which was just like absolute nonsense because it was yeah. still like we were still like deep in COVID. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's nonsense. It's a good movie. And apropos of what Alec just said, it's about people trying to escape Ohio, which yeah. as a Michigander, I appreciate. Tale as old as time. <laughs> Biblical. Ooh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. A delight. An absolute delight. Just a musical treat. I, um... You know, it was the right length. What was it? 45 minutes? Just long enough that the joke didn't get old. Kevin Bacon having the time of his life. Great tunes. Like like that actual, I don't know what Christmas is, but Christmas time is here. Just absolute <laughs> banger. Immediate classic that will be on every holiday playlist I make for the rest of my life. Wonderful, lightweight stuff. More of this, please. I think if any, I, I, I will not object to any Marvel thing that is under, you know, 50 minutes. So this is a great fit for that. I think the reason it's not higher on the list is that it is, it's pretty lightweight for better or worse. Um, it makes it an easy watch. It makes it a fun watch, but it doesn't really feel all that consequential in the grand scheme to things. Um, particularly because the other special that Marvel did that I'm sure that we'll, we will be getting to later uh, did like a really good job of feeling like it had like a whole satisfying cinematic arc within 45 minutes. Whereas this was just kind of a fun little one-off between two of the six or seven um, major Guardians characters. I liked it, but, it, you know, 10 feels about right, I think. I'm shocked and appalled. This is my number one. This, this, is, this wow. is perfect. It's, it's, it's everything that... When we like MCU stuff, what we actually like, it's not the action. It's definitely not the effects. It's not even the jokes. It's seeing the characters hang out. That's that reveal at the, the post-credit sequence at the end of the first Avengers, where they're all just sitting around eating shawarma. That was the moment where the MCU became the MCU. And so when I go to these movies, what I want to see is my friends bouncing off each other. And this, this, that it's just that. It's distilled that. Um, that it, it's it takes characters we like, puts them on a low stakes, ridiculous mission and lets it all play out, you know? Uh, and I mean, I guess I'm biased here on the one hand that old 97s are one of my favorite bands of all time. I've seen them play several times. So as soon as they showed up there, I was, you know, I, I made noises that I'm not gonna replicate here. Um, and 
I, it, it, and it just seen uh, Dave Batista and Palm Clemente, uh just they get to exercise their comic chops. And again, as you said, how much fun Kevin Bacon's having. It's what I go for to for uh, go to Marvel movies for. Uh, that's what I want. And this was nothing but that. I do have to register one complaint on the part of uh, my Jewish friends who were upset about this, that it is not a holiday special. It is a Christmas special. That's the only holiday that it's interested in talking about. Please stop giving the bait and switch to people with other holidays. But outside of that, I, I really loved it. So you're all wrong. Go ahead, Kirsty. <laughs> I thought it was okay. Um, I found it quite grating, um, quite annoying. I didn't like the 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 joke, the running joke of like you know actors are assholes or whatever. Wink, like okay, we did it. We don't need to do it again. But James Gunn can't be stopped, so of course we did. Um, yeah, I I didn't love it. I thought it, I I got through it, and um, I think I cried three times. So it was pretty. Uh, emotionally affecting I would say but I do cry at like just commercials and if I see a dead badger on the side of the road like I'm inconsolable for about a week so yeah so your review of this is it was like seeing a dead badger on the side of the road (laughs) (laughs) in many ways yes A a raccoon maybe House of Newton just said an okay from Kirsty regarding a Marvel movie is basically a stabbing. <laughs> it's true. But I think, you know, it's it's it really is just a matter of taste now because, like, you're either down with the kind of self-awareness that Thor, Love and Thunder was bringing to the table or you are down with the kind of self-awareness that this Guardians of the Galaxy special was bringing to the table and like they're very similar in some ways it's just a matter of like which flavor you're you're into ms marvel all right ms marvel cracked the top 10 i don't remember where i put ms marvel i think i placed this higher myself uh just a delightful show a perfect origin story i probably would have ranked it even higher if it would have kind of stuck to its uh stuck to its guns a little bit like i once the clandestine showed up i was just like ah whatever like like more high school kids please like more like more of this but you know what if we were just ranking mcu origin stories ms marvel could very well be at the top for me and i can see myself re-watching if not all six episodes of this at minimum like the first four you know uh, I really, I, I really dug this show and I hope it gets a season two. Cannot wait to see more of it. Uh, you know, more, more of this character and her world in the Marvels in July. Yeah. Like who could hate on this? Have you met Alec? <laughs> I don't hate it. I really don't. <laughs> so like, I'm glad I said the same thing about She-Hulk, which is like, it belongs in the middle of the list. Uh, this one even more so than She-Hulk. I'm glad it's in the exact dead center of the list because in, in my mind, that's where it belongs because it is precisely one half of a really good show and one half of a really bad show. And the breakdown is exactly what Mike described. Like when it's focusing on its kids, when it's doing the high school drama, 
um, when it's following Kamala as, you know, just like a kid growing up in Jersey City and her origin story. It's so much fun and it's so cool. Um, but then by like episode three or four when the clandestines show up and it's starting to bog her down into like real life adulthood problems that are like, it just doesn't seem fair to Miss Marvel to just put her in a, this story that's so much older than her. Like the, the whole the whole point of this endeavor and the whole appeal was the youthful energy all these kids were bringing and how much how new and exciting and fresh everything felt. And they're like, all right, well, we're done with that. Let's go out into some caves and do some archaeology. And like after Moon Knight, that was just a non-starter for me. <laughs> so I feel like this is precisely a, a middle tier phase four um, endeavor. I had this one at number four. This is my favorite of the series out of uh, uh, phase four. Um, I I hear what you're saying and I agree that clandestine uh, were not terribly interesting, but everything else going around there I thought was fantastic. Iman Vellani is just a star right from the beginning. I cannot wait to see more of her. She's exactly what you want in the MCU, just that energy and that bubbliness and that optimism. Uh, the visuals in the first two episodes were amazing, but I, I, I'm going to push back on the grown-up story because I think that works um, to the degree that, that um, the MCU is in, interested in telling grown-up stories in that manner. I think it makes sense for uh, the character in her milieu that she's sort of pushed into having to deal with not just the grown-up sense of I've interdimensional <laughs> warriors that are trying to blow up a one dimension, but the whole uh, turning damage control into the Department of Homeland Security. And, you know, we get those really uh, insightful bits where uh, damage control comes into the mosque and they're like, yeah, this is not the first time that the American government has come in here and threatened us. So we all know the drill, you know? Uh, that's that again I'm speaking from the perspective of a white dude but uh that strikes me as very well observed the way that it worked in the history of partition into an episode that was uh lovely and worked with the story that it was telling and that powerful ending you know that was that was <laughs> that was educational without feeling like you're eating your vegetables that felt like it belonged in the world I'll agree that there are some missed opportunities in there in a way that makes me really hopeful that we get uh, a, a second season, if not a proper movie. But um, on the whole, there's no, there's none of the series that I thought were as interesting and delightful and uh, uh, fleshing out the MCU in the way that I want the TV shows to do. So that's too low, too low. I, I think it's where it should be. But that, again, that's just my opinion. I feel like those first two episodes of Ms. Marvel was such a incredible sugar rush of like youth and exuberance and just freshness and ex excitement. And it just felt, oh, yes, this is just what the MCU needs. And then just the villains and even the red, when they threw the red daggers in there, it just felt really half-baked. Yeah, it's like eating a cake where the top has risen, looks really, really good. And then you get underneath and it's all kind of, just melty and not very good and sticks to the roof of your mouth and not not as great I would say but those first two episodes so showed so much promise that I feel like if they did do a season two uh, they would have learned so much from it and I recently heard that uh, Kevin Feige and the people at Marvel they they held summits or something about after everything is released and they get together and say well what went wrong or what went right 
or at least they used to even going back to Iron Man it's kind of a tradition and and I wonder whether they're like after all these sort of Disney plus experiments sort of get together and, and wonder like okay well how can we do it better next time or what can we learn from this so I think these were even the the shows that maybe you know we didn't like or that we felt were lacking I felt that maybe they were learning and experimenting as they went along and that was important for the future of the MCU on TV I don't want to belabor the Ms. Marvel point too much, but I think I figured it out. This was either would have been better served as two different short seasons of TV. Like, you know what I mean? One that focused purely on the high school stuff and the early days of the origin stuff. And then another, you know, with the more adult stuff and, 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 and everything else. Or, and this was the impression that I kind of got in the second half of this show where it's like, we got to that point, which a lot of these shows have had, where it's like, this feels like at one point it was a movie and now they're just kind of stretching this out over, you know, over five and a half hours slash six episodes or whatever. But like, I feel like either one of those approaches could have worked, but I, I just, I just enjoy the show so much and enjoy the cast so much that I'm just going to lean on the first part of this. And that is the vibe that, ultimately i'm you know if i'm being like a real critic about it sure like we could poke holes on it but like the vibe is more important than than the overall thing here Thirsty's favorite dr strange in the multiverse of madness i'm gonna let kirsty start this one because kirsty was unable to do our episode with this and they had some really uh, really strong points about it. Like we can we can laugh about the actual hate, but like your points are valid. I think I've made all my points. We did a worst of phase four, uh, worst bits of phase four, and I I went into it then. So I feel like I've said I said what I said, and I well, stand by what, it. Remember what Stan <laughs> Lee said, Kirsten. Every issues is some every issue is somebody's first. Didn't think I knew that Stan Lee quote. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> he probably stole it from steve ditko or jack kirby but right. that's another story. <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't like dr strange in the multiverse of madness i don't think it's very good uh i think it does all its characters a disservice um wong is there to um get hit by stuff and roll it off and get back up again uh dr strange is there to be a weird guy that suddenly hasn't gotten over his girlfriend that he didn't care about years ago and didn't give a single shit about but now he's not over her and um he can't get over her and and her position in all this you know bringing back uh, Rachel McAdams as Christine Palmer uh finally giving her something to do and what that thing to do was was to tell Doctor Strange it's okay if he bangs other chicks I mean I really, I could keep going into it, you know. I, I don't, I don't think it does Scarlet Witch any anything as well. Be making her um, a villain after she learned so much in One Division. It didn't feel authentic, uh, an arc for me. I just felt like we'd we'd seen it before, but better. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think about who else was in this movie. Actually, American Chavez, yeah, just um, there to dump exposition on us. Not much in terms of, 
work done on her character. I just, it doesn't work. And Sam Raimi's shtick is just not, never been my thing, never really liked the original Spider-Man trilogy either. So like Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 and The Gift, but Raimi not really, not really a, a fave of mine since those movies. I haven't seen many good ones from him. I don't know what we'll to say, say anymore. I don't know what to say anymore. I don't yeah. like no, it. No, it's fine. Even Doctor Strange is I... really emotionally draining. <laughs> Every time we do this. <laughs> I will say, because on first viewing, I loved this movie. I loved it. And I, in fact, I texted Kirsty afterwards. I was like, it's great. Oh my God, it's so good. But Kirsty's criticisms of it and Lacey Bauer's criticisms of it kind of gave me a bit of a different perspective on it. And as much as I was caught up in this movie when I watched it in the theater and I really enjoyed it, I realized I've had no desire to revisit it. I have not rewatched this movie, which I think is a little damning. Uh, I meant to rewatch it around Halloween because, hey, it's a Sam Raimi movie. It's got those great horror elements at the end. You know what I mean? Like, I've always felt like... Doctor Strange should be a much more aggressively horror-based character in the MCU. Like, I wish Scott Derrickson would, like, really get to run wild with that, especially since Derrickson made one of the best movies of last year with the Black Phone. I mean, clearly, I put I put this way higher on my list than Kirsty did, but I have not rewatched it. Is it possible? I don't know this... Are we saying that I convinced you to rewatch Eternals and convinced you not to rewatch Doctor Strange, <laughs> the multiverse of I had this one at number two. Uh, and, and I don't I mean, yeah, all of those criticisms are exactly right. There's, there's I, I can't refute any of them other than this. I love Sam Raimi. If the guy's not, as long as he's not shooting Oz Wizards or baseball, I will, I love everything else that he does. And there was just so much of that flavor in in, in the, the movie. I, I love its nastiness. I love how Elizabeth Olsen just chewed every piece of scenery, even if her character was getting dealt a raw hand. And I, and I think you're right about that. Uh, I, I've watched this movie several times. It's the one out of phase four that I've watched the most. And there are so many crazy moments, inventive moments, like the music fight, like the, uh, like the, uh, the, the demon cape that were just, I, I want that. I love the way that Sam Raimi approaches superheroes. He approaches them exactly the way that I want them. I want them to be silly and I want them to be earnest. And he's just on my wavelength. And so I love this movie. I, I, I hear you and you're not wrong, but I cannot deny that I love it. You're allowed to love it, Jack. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're allowed to be wrong. I often am. <laughs> Except about Eternals. I'm, I'm completely with Joe on this one as well. And like, I was like, there is something weirdly emotionally draining talking about Doctor Strange because like, curse to points are valid. Like you're absolutely right. Um, nothing in this movie makes sense contextually within the rest of the MCU. Coming off of WandaVision, like Wanda's heel turn makes no sense. Um, Doctor Strange's uh, current Rachel McAdams predicament makes no sense. Just like contextually, it makes no sense around with everything else around it but just as a singular piece of two-hour filmmaking it's my favorite movie in this phase by far um 
it's the one that entertained it uh, it's easily the film that entertained me the most in this phase and it might no there's probably three or two or three tv shows that entertained me more um but on the movie side of things i think this is the best that phase four has to offer it's just cool like like joe said it's a combination of understanding its silliness um but also just having like the right amount of filmmaking technique and earnestness and, and tender loving care and how they went into it and they put on a cape of the souls of the damned <laughs> i don't know what to tell you <laughs> like it's just that's always going to have 100 percent approval rating with me and the comment says i looked at wandavision pretty differently because she never faced consequences apart from a reality check and then proceeded to be scarlet witch still and explore the book fair like fair and i and this is a problem that you know the interplay between these movies and TV shows continues to have for as much as these TV shows do quote unquote matter. It is kind of easy to hand wave some of that, you know, between, between projects. So I get it. It's not a forever too low, way too low, but that's okay. We just did our Wakanda forever episode. It feels like, um, History will be kinder to Wakanda forever. I stand by this. I think Wakanda forever's biggest crime is that it just doesn't have, it just does not have a, a real star. And it's good that they did this and I know why they did it, but there is nobody with just like the pure wattage to carry this movie, you know, as, as great, a discovery as as Namor is and as awesome as he is, the absence of, of of Chadwick Boseman, I think ultimately it does the movie a disservice. But I loved it. I I, I haven't rewatched it yet since it hit Disney Plus, but I'm going to. And the only reason I haven't is I, I don't I don't know that I'm ready to weep again the way I did at that opening scene and uh, and and at that post credit scene. I think we discussed this before, um, especially I think Alec and I were on the same page with this one, is that this is a movie with a hole in it. Um, there is something big missing. And, the, and that is what the movie is about. The movie is saying that the hole is the point. You know, that it's, it's about grieving. It's about how you deal with that and, and how the country of Wakanda, you know, um, deals with it too. But the fact is that it still has a hole and it feels like there is an empty center to it that meant that I didn't really get along with it. I thought it was, I thought it was fine, but, um, and there were some truly great moments and, and good world building in it. Um, but that it, if there was an emptiness to it, it right in the middle that I couldn't get past, I think I, I wish, I kind of wish they hadn't made it. <laughs> I don't, it's hard to say. I, I love the world of Wakanda, though, so I'm glad they did. But it, it feels I just miss Chadwick just way too much. Yeah, I it's a hard one to talk about for all those reasons, um, because like it's it's something that you kind of have to grade on a curve, knowing what went into it uh, behind the scenes and knowing why it exists and the way it does exist. Um, there are plenty of things. Again, it feels like we we just talked about this. It feels it feels so fresh on my mind, but. There are, there are important things it gets right. Like it, it, it gets the absence of Chadwick and T'Challa right. It gets Namor right. Um, 
it gets some important crucial things right but the entire experience just still feels kind of lacking yeah i, mean, I think that's really all i can say about it. it it is a disappointment but kind of like an expected one like it just like the level of difficulty it's facing is so extreme that it's hard for me to be upset that it's not a perfect film um particularly since namor is just so cool yeah, you know, going into it, I thought if there was any movie that could handle losing its star, I, I thought it was Black Panther because uh, Kugler and um, his co-writers and collaborators did such a great job of introducing a community uh, that it wasn't. And, and Bozeman was such a, a uh, kind screen presence that he was able to kind of lift everybody else up when he was sharing scenes with them. And so... I, when I went into it, you know, I wanted to mourn with the characters to be sure, but then also see how those, spend more time with those characters. And my, my biggest problem, well, two biggest problems with the movie, and, and the reason I don't think it works so well, is that one um, out of the existing cast that chooses to spend the most time with, I, I, I liked Letitia Wright a lot beforehand. I, I, I don't buy her quite as this sort of conflicted, jaded character. I, I, she's not pulling it off. And I think the most damning part of the movie is the scene that she shares with Michael B. Jordan. And as soon as Jordan shows, uh, spoilers, sorry. Uh, as soon as he shows up, then, uh, you know, the, the screen is electrified uh, for his one little scene. That's, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> so there's that. And then there's this just absurd decision to spend so much time with, Ever K. Ross and Contessa and mm. even Riri Williams, where, uh, you know, I, I like all of those actors and I thought Dominic, Dominic Thorne was was fun to watch, but I don't, I, I want to see my friends. Why is Mbaku only in like two scenes? Why is Okoye getting shoved off to the side? Yes. Uh, why is Nakia off? I mean, I, I understand that they've all got those other things, but that's, you've got such a great cast and I want to spend time with them. I don't want to spend time with these other characters, even if I like them. This, this is I want that community. So um, there is so much that's good there, but that's that's where the hole is for me. That it just it, it made the wrong decisions, um, and and I don't lay much of that on Kugler's feet because I still think he's an outstanding director. I suspect this is that good old Marvel meddling <laughs> that we got to set up these secret invasion and we got to set up the Ironheart show, and it is just the wrong place for that. <laughs> Chong Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I think I wrote the entry for this one for our uh, for our article version, which folks you can read at dinnegeek.com slash Marvel. We're gonna hit publish on that pretty much as soon as this show ends. Great time. Great time. Non-traditional origin story, right? Like um, you know, falls into a couple of the recent MCU traps of like, you know, questionable questionable visuals here and there, but I love the kind of like wild Jackie Chan spirit of some of these action sequences. Um, even if I wish it was a little bit more grounded at times, like I kind of wanted something maybe a little grittier, but who cares? Like it's fun. It kind of occupies two different points of the MCU. It's playing with that geopolitical flavor and it's playing with, um, you know, the magical realms as well. And we have like, possibly the best MCU villain ever. So yeah, like bring it. And this is another one that I think will kind of yield more rewards for folks on rewatches over time.
you guys are killing me. This is my number three. So my my top four have already been played. This one, oh, it's so good. It's it's okay. This is what's bad about the movie, and this is the only thing that I will say is bad about this movie is the effects, especially in the the, the last act, are unnecessary and sloppy. But outside of that, it had so much good stuff. Not I mean all the stuff that Mike mentioned the. The, the 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 side of the building fight sequence the bus sequence are so inventive and exciting and it, it action scenes that if if marvel's going to try to do action that's the thing that we need to look at none of this uh uh the winter soldier nonsense cutting every two seconds this is that's what we need uh all of the characters are charming tony tony leong shows up and gives an incredibly moving speech about not only retconning or explaining the whole Mandarin thing, but then also about the importance of names and family tradition. Uh, all of that is great. And the one thing that that I don't hear enough people talking about that I think is fantastic is the visual storytelling in that final battle where um, <clears throat> where Shang-Chi and, and, and Wenwu are fighting one another and the rings, five of the rings go around Shang-Chi and he starts doing moves that are the moves that his mother taught him. And then after Wenwu is released from, I guess spoilers again, I'm just telling you guys everything that happens in the movie. <laughs> when Wenwu releases the other rings, then they go around him too. And Shang-Chi's moves become the lineage that he learned from his mother and his father. Visually, he's he's moving his body in the same way that they moved their bodies. That is such good visual storytelling. And superheroes uh, movies are based on visual art. And so we need more of that. It's unfortunate that it gets slapped around with the good old blue and, and orange and all of that nonsense, but oh, it's so good. Such an underrated movie. This Tula. Honestly, it might be between this and Doctor Strange for the best of the whole phase for me, movie-wise. And like we talked about uh, earlier with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, about how lucky Marvel got that WandaVision was their first TV show effort. I know this is not, strictly speaking, the first movie effort because Black Widow preceded it. But for all intents and purposes, the, the next saga of storytelling, like the multiverse saga, begins here, more on the movie side of things. And as time goes on and like other stuff comes out, this just kind of looks better and better by comparison. Um, like a lot of the heavy hitters for Marvel fell short, depending on who you ask. Usually a lot of us <laughs> on, on the show here, like Thor fell short, uh, Doctor Strange to about half of the Den of Geek staff fell short. Um, Black Panther kind of forever was a bit of a downer um, but like Shang-Chi really kind of fulfills the role of being the Iron Man of this multiverse saga uh, both in terms of the character and the movie it really sets the tone quite well and I think if I have any, a big complaint about Shang-Chi right now it might be that we have not seen Shang-Chi the character since really um, it really feels like a missed opportunity given how uh, central the Ten Rings are going to be to the kind of this multiverse saga uh, that, you know, Benedict Wong, Wongers has become sort of the, the Nick Fury of this collection of stories and like kind of the overarching figure that's going to bring the Avengers or whoever together. I feel like this phase has been a bit of a missed opportunity to establish Shang-Chi as like a real Tony Stark-esque figure for this next generation of Avengers. But the movie's awesome. Yeah, I, I have very few complaints about it. And if anything, I think it could be slightly higher in the list. 
Yeah, one thing about Shang-Chi um, that I didn't really feel compelled with with the other Phase 4 movies, I mean, with Black Widow, I didn't really get a chance to, but um, when I saw it in the cinema, I was like, this this feels like an experience. Like, it has a whole atmosphere, has a style. It's, like Joe said, we're not cutting every few seconds. We're, like, focusing, um, like, some really good filmmaking in there. And, I, and then I went to see it again because I wanted to have that experience again on the big screen. And I think Marvel have delivered that in the past so well. Um, and it's worked for them. Like they, they've built up this huge run of box office hits off the back of being able to do that, to deliver that experience. And some of the other movies, as much as I enjoy them, just do not deliver that full experience. And I think that Shang-Chi does that really well. It's executed extremely well. Loki, you know, I have to confess, I've almost like forgotten everything about Loki. <laughs> like, but I, but I, but I know I really, really enjoyed it at the time. This is something that I'm going to have to rewatch before Quantum Mania. Maybe it's just because like I took for granted the fact that, hey, it was good. It offered mysteries that like I kind of wanted to explore and that I want more answers from. And like some of the other MCU stuff since then has just like kind of gotten in the way of it in my brain. But I'm due for a Loki rewatch before Quantumania. Um, and we are getting Loki season two this year. And like, even just seeing like, it's like, oh, that's right. We got like classic comic book villain Loki at one point. You know what I mean? We had alligator Loki. Like this show, this show was great. I think I would be too cool for school if I was trying to dismiss this show. Because the minute I start seeing images from it, it's like, oh yeah, we had a really good time with that. This was the last one of these where it felt like we had a whole bunch to speculate on from episode to episode, you know? So I'm down with this. I, uh, I love Loki. I, you know, I, I mentioned previously that I think, um, what if is the point in the list where the show, like the show's movies in phase four become like acceptable to good. I think the Loki at five is another jump for me in terms of quality. Like we might be in the great territory here because I really, really like Loki. Uh, I remember watching this in the early days, back when Mike and I were on perpetual procedural watch. <laughs> like we were convinced that every single Marvel show was going to be like a Law and Order style procedural. <laughs> and in hindsight, like Loki kind of attempts that for two episodes, but then goes into its overarching story, and it's just a great overarching story. Um, the set design is the best in any Marvel property this year. Uh, the TVA is so interesting visually and conceptually. Um, it has the best ending, I think, of any Marvel property this year. Um, in terms of things that you just carry with you after a show or a movie is over, in terms of just like imagery, concepts, theories, thoughts, I think Loki's up there with any of them. The scene I'm most likely to remember of anything that's come in phase four might be the scene right there with um he remains it was just really good stuff and like owen wilson was fun as hell um it just it, this was good this was good tv great tv maybe good for loki good for marvel good for us i agree with everything that alex said honestly um i don't know whether i bought loki's journey to thoughtful romantic hero as much as other people um that felt very 
very very quick otherwise i thought it was a really great show i guess i'm gonna be the one that's too cool for school then because i don't dislike the show but it doesn't it didn't stick with me at all you know i i, I thought it was fine while i was watching it but none of the set design really got me you know it was like oh i've seen brazil yeah uh, and, you know, oh, purple, that's a very purple planet. Uh, you know, like none of that got to me. I, Owen Wilson was a delight. Uh, I always love Gugu and Bathora, and I was glad that she's on there. Tom Hiddleston's fine. But uh, yeah, it, it's to me, the only part that stuck with me was um, the He Who Remains at the end and what they did with the TVA reveal. But besides that, I just, I don't know. I'm out of step with everybody else on that one where I don't hate it, can't really point out any real problems, but didn't do much for me. You're out of step with us on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Werewolf by Night. Yes, genuinely surprised that it's this high, but then again, maybe I shouldn't be because it's a perfect 50 minutes of television. Like, it's just, it's ambitious, it's weird, it's different. The fact that they market it specifically as a Halloween special, like it, I watched this with a bowl of popcorn and some fun-sized candy bars. Like that's the way to enjoy Werewolf by Night, folks. Um, I want more of this. I want one of these Halloween specials a year. Like, yes, of course I want more Jack Russell and I want more Man-Thing, but I just want more stuff with this tone and flavor. And I desperately want the MCU to take more chances exactly like this. Yeah, the MCU should have like a, its own sort of treehouse of horror, you know, tradition where every Halloween, that. you know, you look forward to the, the MCU Halloween special. Marvel's built on monsters. So you've got right. so many great monsters. Get them out there. It's, a, it's an insult that, um, that DC is going to do a, a creature commandos before we get howling commandos or, you know, some terror incorporated or something like that over here in Marvel, you know, that it's in, I, I loved seeing that represented. I loved uh, everything that Gene Keanu brought to it. The, the universal vibes, the uh, Val Luton, we used to shadows. It was just, it was so much fun to look at. The, the uh, performances were great. My, my only complaint is I don't like the color scene at the end with uh, Man-Thing and, and Jack Russell because it became a little too Marvel quippy in a way that it wasn't before then. But outside of that, what it, awesome. So awesome. We need more of that. I agree, actually, Joe. I think I would have ended it on Elsa, Elsa's jacket and stuff. I, I think mm -hmm. that's a more powerful final shot. Um, I wonder what the decision-making process was there. When I was making my lists and this was still hanging around when I had not I had reached the top five, I was kind of surprised, but then it, it made sense. I'm like, yeah, no, this is, I did not anticipate it to be, but this is a pop top five property from phase four. Um, Mike, you invoked the P word in discussing this and saying it was perfect. And well, that might sound like too high a praise. I kind of think for what it is and what it sets out to be, it's pretty perfectly executed. It doesn't necessarily mean that like I'd put it on the same level of like a Citizen Kane or something, but just in terms of like accomplishing what it set out to do, it's hard to nitpick away its perfection status. It's pretty much exactly what it wants to be and what it was supposed to be. And it's perfectly entertaining for 45 minutes. I'm entirely comfortable with this in the top five. I think it's really fun. Oh, Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what? I've talked enough about how much I hate Spider-Man No Way Home. Nobody needs to hear that again. This is a terrible movie. It's a movie made by committee. It's a movie made by Sony boardroom execs. And it's the kind of movie that if you fed fandom into like an algorithm, this is what it would spit back out. I never want to think about this movie again. Have at it, folks. Like, please, like, please add some positivity to this because it hurts me that this is in the top 10, let alone the top three. Mike, would it hurt you more to know that several key members of the Den of Geek editorial staff put this at number one? What? Traitors. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's right. It is about as cynical a movie as ever ever been made. Like it really is a by committee film. Um, but for some reason, it just doesn't make me mad as like a lot of other uh, corporate member Barry um enterprises do uh maybe just caught me on a good day like i was just ready to buy in i was excited to see my old spider friends um but aside from a third act which i is inexcusable it's like as as bad of cgi as any marvel property has ever gotten look at that shot look at that (laughs) that is inexcusably that is inexcusably lifeless inexcusably lifeless constantly reselling um, but for like two thirds of this movie, I had a really good time. And look, I wish I didn't as much as the next guy. I wish I was able to reject this soulless attempt at corporations hijacking my brain. Um, but they got me. I'm sorry. They got me this time. Uh, it's not top three, but it's a movie that I watched and enjoyed. Alec, you sound like me with Thor, Love and Thunder. I thought it was fine. I didn't. I just thought it was Okay. People that were, you know, screaming when the, I wasn't in that, you know, group of people that were having just uh, such an amazing time, just uh, absolutely hollering when they saw uh, Andrew Garfield and Toby Maguire. Uh, but I wasn't, you know, Mike just absolutely apoplectic with rage either. I was just in the middle where I was like, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was, it was all right. That's where I'm at too. I can't get too worked up one way or the other about this, except. You know, for, for me, this is kind of like the, okay, boys, you, you did this once, you've had your fun, don't ever do this again. And it it's going to happen again. <laughs> the fact that this is, <laughs> we're going into the multiverse saga uh, really, really, really worries me. And it's a crime that a movie that sucks off the life of the Sam Raimi movies is higher than the Sam Raimi movie that's actually on this list. We, we've all failed uh, because of that happening. So, but outside of that, it's, it's fine. I, I can't admit, I don't understand why people got that excited about this. I have not heard a good defense of it other than I like those characters and, oh, look, now Peter Parker is where Peter Parker should have been when Peter Parker was introduced in the MCU instead of, yeah, it's, it's nonsense. That argument, by the way, he says, hollow. Here he goes. As the people who say, oh, but if Superman didn't kill General Zod yeah. at the end of Man of Steel, then how would he know killing is bad? Yeah. Like, like it is it is just such like a nonsensical, yeah. like it just like it's like listen to yourselves. Anyway, I never want to talk about this movie again. <laughs> 
Wow. Holy moly. Hawkeye made it to number two. I can't remember if I put Hawkeye as like my number two or my number one, uh, to be honest, when I voted, but it was, it was up there and how, like, wow, this show turned into like the little show that could, it was the one that like nobody wanted. Right. And they're like, ah, how good can it be? And then it was just like episode after episode of perfectly paced action movie, like lunacy. I love it. I love it. And it brought Sammy Davis Jr.'s Sweet Gingerbread Man back into regular <laughs> Christmas rotation. And that alone, I think, like, kind of gives it a little a little extra shine there. Um, wow, really pleasantly surprised by this. This is another one where I was filling out my own ballot and it reached the top three. And I'm like, surely Hawkeye is not a top three phase four <laughs> property. But, like, lo and behold, it was to me and to most other people on staff. Um, it really is kind of unassuming, but when you just think back on it and like what it does well and what you enjoyed about it, it's hard to make an argument against it. Like, it's really like you, it's really hard to poke holes in it because it, it, it has cool cameos as we see right there. It has a familiar face in uh, Jeremy Renner, which get better soon, buddy. Um, and it introduces a new face who's awesome. And it's all set in Christmas and it has a sense of like purpose and direction and focus. And it knows what it is. And again, like Werewolf by Night, it executes it well. Um, It's a great little TV show that I have absolutely no complaints about having watched. I like Hawkeye a lot. I don't have it quite high as everybody else, but not for anything that I can particularly put, not not that anything that's fair is that it's taken away from it. I mean, I just, I don't care for Jeremy Renner and, many things and I I think he's I think they found the least interesting route to go with Hawkeye in the uh uh MCU I, I say this as the number one age of Ultron defender um but that's that's he's just he's so boring and so anytime that he's on screen you're like where's Haley Steinfeld where's Florence Pugh where's Pizza Dog I I also have that sort of um the exact opposite of what happened to me with Falcon and Winter Soldier, where uh, the the Aha Fraction or Aja Fraction uh, Hawkeye run in the comics that this is cribbing off in a way that kind of reminds you of the ickiness of the way that Marvel treats its uh, uh, creators sometimes. Uh, you can't escape, but you know the tracksuit mafia is so much better in that. Uh, the the the, the Hawkeye jokes are better in that. It just I, I feel like I'm being such a party pooper. These none of these are good reasons to dislike a show, but that's it doesn't hit me quite as well. Thanos was right, bro. Always, <laughs> yes. No surprises here. WandaVision is number one. I think this was kind of a foregone conclusion, just because look, so double digit in the comments is not going to be happy, apparently. But other than Endgame. I can't remember the last time any Marvel thing has just like driven wider pop culture conversation the way that WandaVision did. And it was such a promising start from a what like, wow, Marvel really nailed the prestige TV thing where it's like there's like a zeitgeist with this that I, I didn't really think that Marvel on the small screen was capable of tapping into. And I didn't think they were going to be able to duplicate after Endgame. And yet here it is. 
So whatever like little problems I have with WandaVision, and I have a couple, like I don't think it quite sticks the landing. It's pretty special. Like it's like Werewolf by Night. It's risky. Um, you know, it's cast is at the absolute top of their game. You know, the teases for other things, like I am still convinced that they were like low key setting up like like an origin for the Fantastic Four in the background of this. Like the amount of speculation, Mephisto aside, and I know that I was like the guiltiest Mephisto party, but like the amount of speculation that each episode invited from everybody. And most of them, like it wasn't all red herrings, you know? So I got to give it to WandaVision. I do. And I've been meaning to rewatch it. I, I'm, I think the real test with WandaVision is like, has anybody rewatched it? Like when you know what those mysteries are, does it still deliver? But in its cultural moment, like, I just don't think that can be replicated. So I got to give it up. I was like, we were eating good when WandaVision was on the air. It was, it was lobster and steak every lunch in the Denna Geek offices when WandaVision was on. <laughs> I was really struck when, obviously, when Mike referred to Werewolf by Night as perfect, because it's an accurate statement. And now we come to WandaVision, which I feel is charmingly imperfect and all of the better for it. WandaVision, in many ways, kind of represents what I like so much about TV as a medium, which is fitting because WandaVision, in many ways, is about television and pays homage to television shows of the past. Whereas it's not afraid to be messy. Um it's not afraid of accusations of like filler. Like you guys are just like spinning your wheels. Like sometimes it slows down. Sometimes it speeds up as needed. And it does have like a pretty not great ending, but the journey is so fun that you don't really care that much. It's almost like better because of its imperfections in a weird way. Uh, and it's just a very creative show in a very creative thing that you'd want out of marvel like if you have this ip and you have this amount of goodwill built up from a, a passionate fandom this is the kind of thing that it makes sense to spend that goodwill points on um like a weird wild swing like this and it really paid off and i'm, I'm glad it did wandavision was great i was just gonna say i have rewatched it and i i think those sitcom episodes hold up because elizabeth olsen and paul bettany are so talented at doing that kind of of humor and it's just it's nice to see a sitcom like that on television you know just those episodes divorced from the overarching uh, uh mystery uh they're they're pleasurable in themselves those kind of screwball moments and 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 you know old tropes that are uh being recreated but recreated by with, with absolute care and and passion for it so no that holds up and I, I wanted to stick up for the ending just a little bit, uh, at least the vision part, because I, again, uh, Age of Ultron is a really good movie, despite what the opening to the show said, Be in part because uh, it ends with vision having a philosophical conversation with robots. And that's, you know, I, I love robots trying to figure out humanity unless it's Eternals. And that's... <laughs> and, and that's great that they had that ship of Theseus conversation. That's uh, for whatever complaints about the Agatha and Wanda fight, and I, I can't really defend those, 
that whole question, uh, that whole conversation going on about what the nature of authenticity and the nature of reality after a show that played with reality and put artifice forward in such an important way, I thought that was a good tying up of themes in a way that wasn't uh, obvious, uh, that, that fit the characters and was well motivated. So I don't even think the ending is that bad. I agree with you guys. I think that um, Moon Knight and WandaVision are kind of similar um, when you think about it. I think that they both, I think that after WandaVision, they tried to do another show that took a lot of risks and it, they found out that lightning just didn't, doesn't strike twice like that. Like it just did not work this time. And um, even the, the formula for Moon Knight is, is kind of similar in that they have that fifth episode where they explain what's happening, take the central character through their past trauma, and then they have the sort of CG battle at the end. Um, so I feel like they tried to replicate what WandaVision brought to the table, but they just couldn't do it. Like they just, they found out, they, they fucked around and found out at that point. <laughs> like it, um, so yeah, I, I think that WandaVision is, is imperfect. It doesn't stick the landing, but it, it has so much creativity and so much um, kind of brilliance in throughout that it's, it's hard not, it's hard to argue with it. It's number one. I just remember, even as we talk about it, I just remember like creative bits and pieces from mm. it that like were so fun in the moment. Like I'm just remembering the, like the modern family-esque episode where like they did interviews. <laughs> they just yes. like face to camera interviews. Like Vision took some time out of the plot, just like set up a, a folding chair on the side of the road and had a little <laughs> microphone attached to his shirt. <laughs> talked about his feelings. Um, this is the kind, it's just the kind of thing you want out of this universe when it's this well established. And again, they have this much goodwill. Like this is this is the kind of weirdness that you get into the Marvel Cinematic Universe to begin with. Um, so cool, I love WandaVision, even more talking about it now. And you know, uh, this far away from it, I've come to really respect the screwing with the audience with the Quicksilver, <laughs> uh, you know, bait and switch, especially the, after talking about No Way Home, which is nothing but give the audience exactly what they think they want. And here they, they do the exact opposite. And no, you can't have the X-Men yet. You know, I respect that more now that I'm not angry about it. I think we finally made it. Kirsty warned me this was going to be a long episode, so uh, maybe I should have listened to them. But nevertheless, uh, that is it for another episode of Marvel Stand-Up. Thank you all so much for sticking with us. Don't forget to follow Den of Geek US on YouTube and twitch.tv slash Den of Geek TV, sorry, to catch our upcoming live panel discussions about what's next. Next week, we are looking ahead to phase five, right? And then the following week, we're going to have some spoiler-free thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And then the week after that, we're going to do other cool stuff. Basically, folks, what I am saying is that Marvel Standom is back. We are back for real. We will be here, I don't know, most weeks, I guess. And uh, it's going to be a good it's going to be a good time. We got a whole bunch of cool stuff coming out this year. Don't forget we are at Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. Drop us a line. Let us know your burning questions. Let us know what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. We'll see what we can do for you folks. Don't forget 
We also have a DC show, so check out DC Standard when you can on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you're watching and listening to Talking Strange, our paranormal and horror show as well, hosted by the brilliant Aaron Sagers. Now, if you came in late today, you'll be able to watch this entire episode on denofgeek.com or at our YouTube home of Den of Geek US. And don't forget, you can check out past episodes there and, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to Andrew Halley, the best producer in any corner of the multiverse. Special shout out to Michael R. for making the podcast version of this show all it can be. But most of all, thank each and every one of you for watching, listening, following, and subscribing. This has been Marvel Standom on the Denny Geek Network. Until next time, remember, folks, we stand together.